You weren't a comp sci major, though, were you? I was, I was a comp sci major. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, double but major. What was the other major? Theater. There, this just always is amazing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Paul Ford, co-founder and CEO of Postlight. I'm Rich Ciotti, co-founder and president of Postlight. Rich, today is not about us. No, it's not, is it? And in fact, people know who we are. They know what we do if they listen to this podcast. Yeah. And let's just stop talking and start listening. Yes. Hi, my name is Chris Lasacco. I am a managing partner and the head of product at Postlight. Welcome, Chris. Hi, guys. I've been working with Chris for... Almost 14 years now. Yeah. Chris is an immensely talented product lead. We care about product management a lot. Chris is able to do it at a scale that very few people can. Well, we can, Chris, can you. you, can you define the job? Can you say what a product manager does? Product manager is the, the champion of the thing. They want it to be the right a solution for whatever problem is out there. So they are the the ones fighting for the users of the app and making sure that it gets there on time, working with design and engineering and everyone else to get it across the finish line and get it into the hands of the people. Chris, draw a picture of the product management team at Postlight. By the way, Paul, a very talented group. So we've got a great collection of PMs who are extremely well-rounded. We've got, you know, some folks are uh, more technical than others. Some folks have a a design bent, but everyone's kind of has a baseline, you know, level of knowledge about just creating software at every level. And we've got people who are good on the ground, who know how to drive towards shipping and get something across the goal line. It's people who know how to put the designer and engineer together and get a list of stuff, bullet it out and hit the ground running and and take it across the finish line. One of the things that really defines you to me is that you have an instinctual horror of things that are of low quality. Like it's just like, mm. it's, you can't put one over on Chris. I've seen it. I've seen everyone's tried, including us. Like you're just like, I think we can just compromise and get this out. Yeah. And the face Duct won't tape it. Face won't change. Where does I mean, that come from? Because you're not like a you're not like an angry person, no, but there's this thing where you're there's just there's a like, lot of bad software yeah. out in the world, and we just don't need to be adding to it. Like, let's make if we're gonna make stuff, let's make good things. That's true. I have a little maxim that I came up with when I was trying to figure out how it was gonna work, and it's just don't add bullshit to the world. Yeah, that's right. So, what what is good software? I mean, good software is something that is at the very least not a pain to use. It doesn't add friction and frustration to your life. It's something that is good. And at its best, it's uh, joyful to use. It, it, it's something you look forward to, you know, interacting with and, and getting to experience. This is interesting because we're talking about product, but what you're really talking about are the motivations and, and like the inspirations behind good design. Absolutely. I think good design is critical to good product work. Yeah. And a good product manager cares deeply about it. And a really great product manager has taste. Aesthetics become part of everything. Like they also are mm. part of the engineering. Yes. And it can't be a big mess because then you can't build something beautiful on top of it. That's right. When you're building things, how do you get the engineers and the designers to kind of find a peaceful way forward? 
the thing that we've built here, I think, is we've got people on both sides of the coin who respect the other discipline immensely. So you've got engineers who really care about design and vice versa, designers who are really interested in engineering. And so getting them to play nicely together is not really a challenge. Like you get that out of the box. I think in the industry, you need design to appreciate that engineering is what's bringing their design to life. And you need engineering to realize that design is driving the product forward, design is driving the experience forward. So you just want there to be that mutual sort of respect and appreciation for the other side of the table. Product management is weird because you're sort of like the interim boss. Like you're really pretty much going to set the agenda and frankly, the days work and days and weeks of work for a bunch of people. Yeah, Uh, that's right. Mm -hmm. When things aren't feeling right or you're sending someone back in to do it again, there's a couple ways to do it. Now, Chris has a skill that I don't have where rather than saying that's not going to work or getting riled up, he just kind of keeps sending you back in. And that's hard. Look, I heard the answer in the the first thing we talked about, which is that you're an advocate for the user. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge piece of it. People need to get where the user is going to be. Yeah. You can't talk about the how you have to talk about the what, like the what you're doing. I think it's hard when you send people back in and say, you did this wrong, you have to do it this way. But instead, if you say, look, we're trying to get across this line and we're just not across it yet, like we need to give it another shot. We need to go that extra 10, 20, 30%, whatever it is. People are much more likely to say, I see where you're going. We're aligned in the same way. I'm going to go give it another, you know, another round. Even though you may be the advocate for the product as you're describing and an advocate for the user, very often there is a business that is has asked for the thing. Yep. And you have been assigned to make sure the thing gets out there. I talk a little bit about balancing relationship and execution. I mean, how I like to approach it and how the team approaches it is translating what we're hearing from the key stakeholders on the client side into how it maps to the users of the product and how we can achieve what they're after on the business side with real goals about what somebody wants to achieve, how somebody wants to use it, that kind of thing. We want to tie it back to how are people actually using this thing? What are we not doing that you're after and how can we get at that problem rather than just responding to needs. Yep. Did you think you were going to be a product manager even coming out of school? Did you even know the definition of the no. title? No. What's the, for someone that's thinking about jumping into this territory, because we have listeners that are engineers and designers and frankly, other types of managers, starting point. Start with what a user cares about and how do you conceptualize how you're putting a product together that's going to be in the hands of real people actually using it. Start there and then kind of layer in, you know, architecture and the other engineering pieces and knowing what's out there and how to kind of pull the pieces together because those are important parts of it too. But I think the basis has to be what are the people who are using the, the piece of software doing and how do you orient yourself and the team around that? My name is Meredith Francese. I'm a managing partner, uh, head of operations at Postlight. You would think, based on how we describe Postlight, that it's just a bunch of people having a good time in a garage. 
Yeah. You might think that. <laughs> you really would think that. that I was like, hey, guys, we're passing around the seamless web phone. This is a business. It's a business, and we've gotten bigger. And boy, would the shit unravel if we didn't have somebody taking care of the gears that make it run and beyond just what we deliver for clients. There's a reason this machine rolls along. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I, I can draw Mara to this face when I say, Mara, I got an idea. Uh. It's, it's usually a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's just as long as we right. have enough time to get it done. Give us your professional path story in like three minutes. I, I mean, I like, I, I like operations. I've always worked in either new business initiatives in large companies or early stage companies. I think that there's one thing that I'm good at, which is taking Rich has an idea and, <laughs> or anyone has an idea and pulling it together into something that actually, you know, happens. Execution is what you're talking I, about. Yeah, I like execution. And I like execution, though, when you start at the messy part. So Rich comes in and says... We need to open a, well, office in Lebanon is a good example. I was going to say hot dog I mean, stand. that was a big project, right? right. I mean, so these are, was... the, these are the sort of things that fall into your world. Like, and a lot of them are very abstract. Like, where do you start? Usually with what's the goal and objective. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then that's usually closely followed by when does this need to get done? Because just as a, for instance, if we want to do an event around the release of something and we've got three months to figure it out or three weeks, it, it immediately becomes a different scope of work. And just to just to highlight, we're saying event, many people who listen to this have never been to our events. Our events are not like, let's order some pizza. They're, they're usually productions no, to they're, some extent. They're catered, they're, they're, they're well-produced, they're recorded if it's appropriate. We have we to have... communicate out with our guests and there's a lot going yeah. on here. I mean, marketing for us is tough because- It's marketing. We, that... Yeah, and we, we, we make a lot of cool things that we can't talk about. So we have to constantly be looking for ways to connect with the community that often isn't tied to the work that we're doing 90% of the time because we can't really talk about it. What's your goal as the person who runs ops inside of Postlight? A lot of times when we think about operations as a team, we think Postlight is our client. It's like we're in client services here at Postlight. And, and our job is tied to what are the objectives of our client Postlight. And that will, sometimes that's really heavy into growth of people. Other times that's in turning up the signal around how Postlight's performing. Sometimes that's doing taxes, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we are like you would run a client engagement. We're constantly taking the temperature and looking at the long-term goals of, of our client. Okay. So how you have a team, mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the team, how it's made up to get all these things done. Yeah. So we have individuals that are really experts at the different parts of operations. So we've got a really great director of human resources. That's our friend, Christine Morse. Yes. We have two people on the marketing team that drive both the strategy and also the design, which has been a new addition, which has been great. And then we have two people that are really great utility players that can help fill in. So we're on this podcast. We talk about design, engineering, product. We rarely talk about ops, but like, what is it like running a group that isn't the star of the show and the way that those other three things are going to be the star of the show for us to sell. Yeah, you have to be okay being behind the scenes, like behind the scenes with the headphones on because you're not out on the front of the stage if you're in operations in most cases. 
And I think the big goal or part of the operations team that I think I'm most proud of and the team is most proud of is the ability that we've had to build the culture of Postlight where people feel like they're part of Postlight, even though everyone's on really different work projects, different pacing, different clients that they're interacting with. And I think that that's tied to both our commitment to hiring people that love their craft and are and excel at their craft and, uh, you know, sharing culture where we've been able to have people feel connected to Postlight as a bigger entity, even if their day in and day out is, you know, at one of our clients' offices. So enabling that becomes your job, right? Mm-hmm. Though you, you, you don't give yourself enough credit. I mean, part of what works here as a culture, I think, is that we allow people to have a life outside of Postlight. And I think that comes actually from the top down, like having a good work-life balance, encouraging people to have interests outside of just their job at Postlight mm-hmm. is, is been something that is really starts with, with both of you and is something that has come throughout the org. The other part is really just a commitment to the craft. And we've said that from day one at Postlight, we, we ship products and we care about our work. And that is really a, in any position you are in Postlight. I think that that's a true statement you could make about someone here. I mean, that is real. We do obsess a little bit over quality. <laughs> no, but I mean, and that's, if the quality slips, the agency goes away. Yep. That's, I've seen it happen. I mean, I think it's been one of the big successes. Ops, when it succeeds, is invisible. Mm-hmm. All right, as yeah. you, to your like, point, you like only, a product, but yeah, right. but yes, you it's only like, really uh, see notice operations when it's failing. Mm-hmm. When you're like, why yeah. isn't the AC working yeah. in the office? You're right. like, what was working the other three hundred <laughs> days? Call ops, right, right? Exactly. When something falls apart is when you realize that the machine has, you know, has has a break. It was very hard for me to ask at one point. I was like, I think we have to fix a shelf in the toilet. You know, it was just sort of like, it was early, yeah. early days. I'm like, I don't even know how, I'll get a screwdriver and do it. And it's, yeah. it's broken several times. I mean, we've learned a lot, right? Recruiting was hard at, at different points and we had to really figure out how do we maintain the quality, but also accelerate based on our growth needs. And that's been, that you know, fixing those things has been a team effort. You know, the way I'd articulate it is you start and stop a lot when you're getting the company going. Like, okay, mm-hmm. well, we can stop recruiting for a minute. And now what we have are just continual processes. Yep. Sometimes there's more gas in the tank than others, but mm-hmm. I don't think we haven't stopped recruiting in forever now, right? Like yeah. We just sort of keep going. What's important with operations is you, you can never take your fingers off the pulse yeah. because just when everything is smooth and working well, like the, something's going to change. And growth, of course, is hard. And growing when it comes to operations is in our business is how do you how do you scale people? How do you scale the Postlight brand and what we stand for without becoming insert big generic agency here? Hi, my name is Matt Quintanilla. I'm partner and director of product design here at Postlight. Welcome, Matt. Little origin story. I've been working with Matt longer than Postlight's been alive. How did you find Richard Ziotti. I applied for a job at Arc90, which was a previous agency that we worked together for. Other side of the the story here, you know, Matt was in, was interesting. Still is. Still, He's still, still very, very interesting, interesting person. So, Paul, at Arc90, uh-huh. we had a weird requirement, re- weird job wreck. The designers had to code. They had to be able to code. That's cool. As long as you're willing to hire from a pool of eleven hundred and fifty <laughs> designers in, in America. <laughs> Um, so somehow, well, this is good though, because the designers who could code are going to find you because no one else cared. <laughs> this is true or they didn't know they had them. So Matt, that was you. You knew how to hack stuff together as well as make it, make it look really good. Correct. I mean, okay. I, I really 
sort of cut my teeth on learning design first and, and, and really thinking that through and just kind of using uh, web dev as, as the hobby uh, mm-hmm. to make myself more flexible, particularly back then I was, I mean, I'd studied journalism. I was thinking about, you know, wh- where am I going to end up? Sure. Uh, Keep your options open. For sure. And so, you know, at a place like Arc90, that was, that was very much the core of how we thought about everything is like, how do we build what we're doing? How do we, how do we ship this? And I think that that really influenced kind of how I approach you know, what we talk about design systems today, like thinking through every every module as a piece of a larger, you know, from the atom level to the molecule to the actual organism, like it, it, it cuts all the way through. We've, we've tossed around design systems a couple of times, and it's a word that gets tossed around these days. Uh, first off, it sounds heavy and intense and fancy, which is cool. Define it. Design systems for, for me is about creating a common language is about creating a system of not rules, but a framework to really think and piece together what needs to be built. Mm-hmm. And without that, you know, it, it really does become a, a much more subjective situation. I mean, design is, is inherently subjective in a lot of ways. And this isn't about creating a barrier to design, but instead is to, to really open up the idea that it should share a language just as, as with writing or, or sort of having a, a style book for writers is important. It's important for designers as well. And particularly when we think about the interaction of, of product design versus just straight up design or, or sort of any other creative pursuit uh, attached to it, it, it really is about uh, defining that structure and then being able to bend it. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the team. When I talk about Postlight, I say, we're an agency that positions ourselves at the nexus of engineering and design. And I think that that's true all the way to every individual member of our design team. We really have crafted a, a group of individuals that come from diverse backgrounds. That is our strength as a team. And really understanding that because we think about product as being the entirety of how something functions, how something works, and and how it's designed. Matt, talk to that person for a second. Uh who is in design, and we talked before about how it's this kind of big, huge landscape, um, and sort of the strain of design that I think we consider success. Yeah, at what's going to make them successful? Yeah, and and where can they go, and where, where like how should they think about learning in advance? So when I talk to to people about coming onto the design team, I, I really stress that this is a place where there's a lot of autonomy. There's a lot of expectation around leadership, um, that person really needs to carry the room in talking with clients, talking with the internal team and really shape the conversation around design. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a director here at Postlight, but I'm not the creative director and we, we don't have that distinction here. It's important because it, it really does allow people to come in and, and understand what needs to be solved and, and execute on that from top to bottom. We, we, we wear a lot of hats here. That's, that's user research to wireframes to UI to showing that to clients, to getting feedback. So it's the whole gamut of design. So you're, you're going to be part of a small team that is like not the overall design team, but a, an individual product team. You're going to be on one or two teams at once and you're going to be responsible for the whole product as a designer. Absolutely. Okay. There's a lot of support though for those designers. Uh, we, as a group, focus our conversations around design in our design reviews around getting just really impactful designer to designer feedback. Uh, we do it ad hoc all the time. I need 20 minutes in a whiteboard. Can we jump in here? Like, I need to talk some stuff out. So you're not alone. You're not siloed here. But there is a, a very big opportunity for people who want to really leap straight into product design and, and sort of owning that autonomy. I got to imagine as director of design, a lot of your job is telling people, not yet. 
<laughs> keep going. How, how do you do that over and over again? And still, cause your team likes you. They really do. I don't, you've, you've noticed this rich. I imagine it's hard cause it's not about, you know, engineering success is often quantitative in, in various ways. Yeah. It's like, like how productive are you? The, you know, how stable is your code and how tight is your code? But design, man, like people, first off, it's it's expression is as functional as it can be or as aiming to be. It is still expression and you're still talking to something. Oh, whenever anybody tries to quantify it, they just ruin everything good about it. And you just think it's got to have that. And you will invoke emotion. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So, yeah. Talk about feedback and critique. There is a strategic aspect of the design that we do, particularly here at PostSite, that I think, you know, measuring that and saying, you know, are, are we meeting the goals? Is the client, you know, feeling what we're doing? Can we measure that? That's definitely part of it. But you're, you're right about the emotional, like everybody sort of thinks they're a designer, clients included. And I think that there, there's no shortage of opinions around what is a very subjective feel. It goes beyond just like, I don't like this blue to you know, is this really the right vibe? Like, are we feeling it? Like that, that's, there, there's a lot of voices in the room around that sort of stuff. And so as a director, I feel like my role is to prompt the question more. Did we think this through? What else could we have done? How, how further can we take this? It's about making sure that everybody starts framing the questions is able to zoom in and out of the, here's the micro of this page, but what's the macro of the entire system of the entire solution? How do, you, how do you encourage that sort of conversation and, and, and bump it beyond just what's on screen and what we're showing to the client? It's hard, right? I mean, making Absolutely. things, you, you are able to find success. You know how to do it right. I'm going to do it. Then actually help empowering people, you, you never know if you did a good job or not. Maybe 20 years from now, they'll be like, I really learned a lot from you, Matt. Thank you so much. But but today, they, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> That's humans. Humans are like that. Absolutely. All right. So you're growing this team. And so people should get in touch. 100%. Okay. So now you know who you'll be working with and the kind of thinking that happens in post-light design. So Beautiful. Time to send that resume, people. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Jeremy Mack. I am a partner and director of engineering at Postlight. Okay, so before we dive in, J-Mac, about engineering at Postlight, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, how, uh, just give me the rip through your resume in like 300 seconds. I started out of college in uh, Ohio uh, as a cyber warrior working for the Air Force. I left from there after about three years and went over to another Air Force contractor so uh, I, I ended up doing a little bit more software development there and kind of got into some web development stuff. And along the way, ended up going to some meetups in Dayton and found a uh, company there, an agency that was doing some really cool web work. About five years out of school, I started doing agency work there, kind of taking clients and shipping a bunch of different pieces of software from freezer cooking uh, which was a, an interesting experience of learning how to cook to build software for cooking. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, and now at this point, I mean, you're walking us through your career and you're getting pretty close to you and I working together. Mm -hmm. um, you weren't really managing people yet, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah, it was more of a kind of mentorship, like I'm the senior on the team and I like on the project and I'm helping people right. kind of figure out where they're going or maybe running a meetup from time to time, giving a talk at a conference. But yeah, nef- right. definitely not directly managing any engineers. Right. So your sort of ascent into a leadership role happened pretty quickly. And one of the things that's impressed me and Paul is how you kind of embraced it because engineering to management is not a straight line. It, it was an interesting journey for sure. I You start your career hacking software and figuring out how viruses and things like that work. And then you're kind of some of the only developer, you know, maybe the one developer on a large software project. You get kind of an ego and you start to believe that, you know, you know how to write software best and the other people around you aren't that great at what they, they're doing. And the first thing I had to do was develop an appreciation for what other people were capable of. And that kind of uh, has just continued to evolve since then that I've trusted more and more people taking over the day-to-day of writing code on the projects I'm on. And I, ju- I get just as much enjoyment out of seeing what they produce or reviewing the code and talking to them about how they approach the problems. I still try to t- stay relevant by doing you know, side projects or the occasional strategic prototype for a client. Um, and that's a great way to stay, stay modern. But I know that my best place is to enable all of the people that we've hired that I see as peers and who have far excelled uh, away from where even I am capable of developing software, uh, just giving them the ability to write code is is really, uh, it's been an incredible part of my career. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about your team. We started off with essentially me managing uh, the majority of the people on the team when it was a little bit smaller. And we quickly realized we needed to have uh, more managers and the ability for people to have direct contact with somebody who's guiding their career at Postlight. So it's been an important thing for us at Postlight that we have a consistent manager for you who's an engineer that knows your trade and your story at Postlight. And that manager is not overtaxed with a bunch of direct reports. They've got maybe four or five reports at most, and they have more than enough time to be able to meet with you once a week or once every two weeks, if that's what you prefer. That's how the team has grown and and gotten to the size it is and still stayed really healthy. Being able to have the People who manage the other engineers at Postlight report to me about the happiness of each individual person and what interests they have and maybe what new pieces of tech we should be considering. It's just been a really good uh, interaction that's let us grow to the size we are and not have issues where people feel disconnected from where engineering's going. We've done middle management right, that we actually have a layer of people who deeply care about the people they manage and they advocate for them up to me, and I make sure that they're heard at the highest levels. And uh, I've seen it time and time again produce long and happy relationships with Postlight with its engineers. One of the things we kind of take pride in is that we like to tell people we're not a fill-in-the-blank shop. We're a shop that, from an engineering perspective, really likes to kind of continue and keep looking ahead and focus on craft. Uh, you know, versus like, hey, we're one of the best Java shops in town or whatever it be, nothing, nothing against Java. Yeah, uh, I I like to think that we stay on the cutting edge without cutting ourselves, that we are capable of exploring experimental new technologies, which is where the type of engineer we hire at Postlight really thrives. They want to take a look at what's new, what solves the problem they had with the last engagement they were on, makes that no longer an issue that's even possible. So we enable people to look at those new technologies, to talk about them, to experiment with them, bring them to us and even pitch them on client work. And we bring it in you know, carefully and we assess things and we try things out 
and they they grow into you know what our tech stack is that we go to at Postlight. And the fact that the uh, engineering team as a whole is able to affect that direction, that autonomy, that ability to have a con control over your day-to-day -day destiny of what you're going to be working with, what tools you're going to be using, appeals to the type of person who finds Postlight interesting as a whole, that we give people autonomy and we let them make choices and then talk about how those choices went and then adjust them as necessary over time. I think it's a very mature two-way relationship that we have with engineering where we expect maturity out of them and about, uh, you know, out of tech choices and we get it back and we get a lot of good conversation and feedback on, on approaches. I've had such wonderful meetings with uh, people who are running our different engagements at Postlight where they're telling me, hey, this thing right now isn't working out. It's not the most ideal. I'm thinking about changing the direction to this. And I may have been the person who decided the original direction six months ago. But I, I mean, the conversation is always wonderful to have. And, and more often than not, we end up going the direction that the person on the ground decided because they're very good at their job. Uh, JMac, the team is 20 people. How about we make it bigger? We're actually undertaking a large effort to make sure that we reach out to them, as many people as possible with the job opportunities we have at Postlight. We accept both New York-based and remote engineers at Postlight. And uh, I take pride in saying that we have one of the best uh, remote cultures when it comes to engineering. So both our engineers in New York and spread out around the United States are completely in the loop and part of the choices we make. So definitely send in a resume. Let's talk. Awesome. Hello at postlight.com. JMac, thank you so much for this lovely interview. Exactly. Thank you, JMac. Hey, Rich, before we talk to our next... Um... Yeah, you need to explain this, Paul. <laughs> So for the audience, I went to a corporate event and I don't actually drink that much. Yeah. And I overdid it and yelled a lot in the bar. Why were you standing on the bar I at the corporate I, event? It doesn't really matter now, does it? But no, it, it doesn't. It is kind of a, going to be an awkward contrast when this is edited together. I think I love it. Maybe I'll just keep this voice. Uh, I uh, it's like giving it. my ears a massage. I like feel, the bass, it's so low that I can yeah. feel the vibration in my ears. Well, it's either this or if I I try to talk in my regular voice, like does that. So we're gonna just go with this. Yeah, I'm sorry, everyone. All right, so let's talk to Gina Trapani about her work as um, a managing partner at Postlight. Hi, I'm Gina Trapani, and I'm a managing partner at Postlight. Gina, your role is a little bit different than many of the other managing partners and directors here. You used to uh, manage teams as a director of engineering. Yes, I did. But now you don't have a specific portfolio. You're, you're just sort of focused on growth of the company. Yep, internal and external. So I help with sales, but I also help help with some culture stuff. What's it like not to have a team? It's different. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think being being a manager of a team is a certain kind of mindset and you're advocating for your people. And but I think, you know, not having a team and thinking about the business as a whole is a shift for sure. You know, when you had a team, it was pretty clear with like what you did all day. You you'd talk to your people, you'd program and, and, mm -hmm. and build things, uh, sometimes talk to the clients, work with product managers. What do you do all day now? So my role has shifted really from like from maker to manager, right? So my work now is meetings. My work is not like get commits and one-on-ones. It's more, it's, it's higher level. And it's interesting. It's something that I've been figuring out. Like how do I quantify my work product when I spent the day in meetings talking about decisions and strategy and talking to potential clients? And, and then sometimes I sit down at my desk and write a proposal or write an internal document. 
like our charter or, you know, what our, you know, titles mean. It's weird, weird, right? Because success is very abstract. Very abstract. It's sort of, is the business growing and overall successful? Yeah. Yeah. Like the health, I'm like, you know, my mandate is to, you know, the health of the business. Right. But like, that's, that's very squishy and kind of, and like invisible, I think, you know, to, to everyone. So it's a different way of working and like thinking about, you know, what you're, whether or not you're being successful. Are people still coming to you for mentoring and for counsel and coffee? Yeah, that, that still happens. But I think when you, you know, when you have a title change and you're not kind of on the ground with people like the, the dynamic changes a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, there's, there's a little bit of a different power dynamic and I'm definitely navigating that, you know, how can I be useful, but how can I also be responsible as a leader here? What are the things that surprise you about sales? Like you and I and Rich are out there telling people about this company and asking them for large sums of money. The biggest thing that surprised me and that I've learned mostly from Rich, like, so I had this notion that like you, you know, signed the contract and then the contract dictated the terms of like how the things were done. And the, the big thing that I've learned from Rich is it's actually the relationship that drives what happens and that the contract is just a documentation. It's just an artifact. And of course we have contracts and we enforce them. Right. But like the relationship is the thing that matters and it's an ongoing conversation and it's not something that you just set up and go and you're done and it's not F you pay me. Right. It's like, how can I help? And things change. The statement of work changes. The needs change. Sometimes the work is different than you thought it would be. And that's okay. Like that's actually not an outlier. That's an, you know, an expectation. So that was surprising to me. I thought that I was going to have a lot more conversations about what the contract says. And that, and Rich, this is the thing that I really learned from Rich, that as soon as you're talking about the contract, like you've lost. When <laughs> you're going sh- back to the terms. When, you, when you're yeah. going back to the terms, you're in a bad place. You know, that surprised me. Yeah, that's, that's something to adjust to. It's oftentimes when we sell, and you can attest to this, mm-hmm. we kind of have to get them to relax about it. Yeah. Because they're like, wait, shouldn't we put this in? I'm like, look, this is going to change. This is the framework. We're going to get changes. softer changes. Well, you know, I think it's what's changed overall in the business, just at least from my perspective over the last, you know, X years, is that the people on the other side of the table actually understand that. They're not buying a, a new cabinet or a car. It's they've built something and they've seen where things yeah. go wrong. And Mostly you, understand it. They but. do. <laughs> and I mean, and you say, like, look, there's going to be a point in the middle where we don't know what's going to happen. Right. And there's like, what happens if, and I'm always like, we'll talk about it. Let's talk about it. Like we're we're not here to, no, we're not robots. Some things go away. I think what's very, it's hard to, people have a real vision in their head of what's going to come out the other side. And it's hard to articulate and get them to buy in that this is going to be a journey. Like, because then then it, it sounds, then it involves them trusting us a lot. Yes. Does actually like, and this is not cynical. It's a good reason why you are a face of the company because you're trustworthy, but also it's an earned trust that you take very seriously. Absolutely. And I think that's even what I mean by relationship. Like you're building like the, the trust factor, building that trust and saying things are going to change and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to adjust and we're going to figure it out um, is the, is the most important thing. And that's that I was like, oh, I'm coming to Postlight and I'm going to build software. But it turns out I was coming to Postlight to build trust well, and relationships. But that's that's a big part of getting people their thing. Absolutely. Can I share another strength of Gina's? Sure, please. Oh. Uh, she's really good at delivering bad news. Yeah, that's true. Gina, deliver some bad news. Yeah, for can me. you tell us something bad? Hey, Gina, let me let me give you something. Uh, it's gonna it needs another thirty days, and a key person's about to go on vacation. Tell me what's gonna happen. You know, have you ever seen 
like a slug. You ever pour salt on a slug like when you were a kid? I'm not a monster. Have you ever seen what happens? The I'm slug not, not just savage. starts like, it starts like, it's like twisting. It's terrible. It's, te- it's a horrible. It, you, you're, it's like burning it with acid. It's terrible. That's what I feel like inside when I have to give bad news. <laughs> um, so it's surprising to me that you think that my delivering bad news is is tough. Um, so Your nervousness and anxiety uh, engenders empathy, right? People exactly. are like, oh man, you know, she's feeling as bad about this as I'm going to feel. She wanted it. Yes. You want it yeah. just as much as they do. Yeah, so this is really a piece interesting, of advice Gina, because you, you, were, you're very, you were very committed as a practitioner and you're very proud of being a practitioner. And, and uh, you're also someone who came here from a very kind of, you were in control, entrepreneurial, you had everything kind of like in a startup that you managed and suddenly you're in this dynamic environment in which you have bosses, you have people reporting, you have then no one reporting. So like, how is that transition and how can people succeed in that transition? I mean, I think the key thing to ask yourself if you're deciding whether or not you want to move from a individual contributor role to a leadership role is, I mean, you have to be honest with yourself about whether or not you can be happy in a situation where you're mostly in meetings and you're mostly managing other people doing the thing that you normally do can is that a situation that would work for you but for me the deciding factor was that I could have impact at a bigger scale as a leader than I felt that I could as an individual contributor and that was very attractive to me Mm -hmm. Um, so I wanted to optimize for that even though I don't love being in meetings and I miss coding every day that was an okay trade-off and I think that that's just the base of the trade-off I think you learn more faster too I mean there is a certain amount of stuff that you could have learned about engineering with that same amount of time, but you were going to learn yeah. more about leadership. I mean, I also just have this like entrepreneurial streak. Like I like the idea of leading and growing businesses. Like I'm very passionate about that. And that's something I'm really interested in. And I couldn't keep my nose out of what was going on with the business, even when I was an engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, and some of that is just like following those instincts. Well, we're very glad you're with us. Glad to be here. Absolutely. You know, it's wild. I work with these people a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And they're dealing with me as CEO. Mm-hmm. And it's rare that you just say, hey, what's your job again? And it's interesting. It is interesting. Like and it's hear, interesting to hear them talk about how they think about their job. That's right. To see that perspective, because it's you see it every day. You see it acted out. It's a very high-performing team. I mean, the firm does well and we're successful. Mm-hmm. And it's because of that team. That's not even a like managing being like, oh, you know, go team. Mm-hmm. You, people who are listening just heard what successful people in this field sound like. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And so, it, but it's good. It's you, I love to pin people down and be like, you know, how do you see your job? How do you see what you do? And that was pretty cool. Very cool. Well, I wish somebody would do that with me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know what my job I'd love a job you know just a job hey Paul good job today you did a good job yeah not like thank you uh, I heard that that's usually got it <laughs> got it okay alright I appreciate that you took the time to give me that feedback that's that's what we usually do alright well you know what it's time to get back to work have a great week everyone and happy third birthday Postlight hello at postlight.com you need anything at all bye